0: Well, um, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I, um, I enjoy the opportunity to be able to open up the Word of God and to be able to um, enjoy Jesus together. And so I just wanna say thank you uh, to, to y'all for allowing me the opportunity to come and uh, to do this. And so um, before we get started, I'll go ahead and lead us in prayer. So if you would, please bow your heads with me. Holy Father, I thank you that this morning Um, we have the collective joy of being able to open your word, to hear from it, and respond. I ask that you would give us uh, a spirit of discernment, of wisdom to know the truth as it's laid forth. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to do the work of seeing it be pressed deeply into our hearts, and that you would be honored in the way that we respond. We thank you, Father, that this is our act of worship, uh, to hear you, and to be conformed to the likeness of Christ by your power. And so we thank you, Father, for the chance to gather together and to um, see our lives come together as praise. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to attend deeply to our own hearts and to your word this morning. Please speak through me in a way that is uh, to glorify you. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Now, I want to go ahead and say this before it happens. There's a rug up here. I tend to trip over... Every rug I find. So if I make it through this chunk of time here without actually falling down, it'll be a a miracle that you've all witnessed. So, just putting that out there. Um, This morning we're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter five. If y'all want to go ahead and make your way there. Um, And just a little bit of background: the the book of uh, First and Second Corinthians. If you're not familiar with it, it's written by Paul the Apostle to the church that's in Corinth. And the church in Corinth has kind of a reputation out of all the epistles and letters that get written, Corinth is the church that is a standout for its background in a particular type of worldly sin. Corinth is known for being a place of incredibly colorful people coming together, colorful in a a bad way here, in the sense that they've been steeped deeply in sin in the world as Gentile converts coming together to make something that is unlike anything else that Corinth of the world had ever seen. And so, when Paul writes to them, he's writing to them and he's encouraging them. He's well aware of their background, he's well aware of their struggles, and the letter is written in part because they have had misconduct within the church membership. Uh, Such incredible misconduct that it's, it would actually make those on the outside of the church blush and so this is being practiced inside the church and so now Paul is writing to them and he is encouraging them to unpack all of the glories of Christ, all of the impact of his wonderful uh, presence in their midst and how they can leave behind that leave behind that that life of sin and corruption and press forward into a a new joy. And so what we're going to be looking at then is in chapter 5, we're going to look at just kind of part of Paul's conversation with this church, encouraging them to, to press on still here. So if you are able and willing, I invite you to please stand with me as we read from God's Word. And this is starting in chapter 5 of 2nd Corinthians beginning in verse 16 and Paul says from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you can be seated. One of the things that is is helpful uh, when we get ready for, say, a season like Christmas um, is to take stock of some of what's going on in the greater community and to see are these are there redemptive aspects going on around us things that we can learn from things that the church itself can be bettered by and help others to be able to see the glory of jesus so i'll venture to guess that this church is not unique in the fact that this coming week how many of y'all plan to see friends and family at some point over the next week it's a good thing isn't it it's a good thing when the church is able to uh, to celebrate something as significant as the incarnation of God in the flesh, of Christ born among us. So we come together and we give gifts. How many of y'all will exchange gifts this week? Yeah. I know my kids are are really looking to make sure that we still say yes to that. Um, But the the reality is that every time that we get together with friends and family, there are just numerous blessings that you are positively able to enjoy. You're able to see people that you maybe haven't seen in a really long time, and you you almost ache to be able to see them again. You you get a chance to be able to laugh and to fellowship over food and over uh, a cup of coffee maybe, and just extend time, slow down, and just be together. Uh, this idea of fellowship is incredibly powerful. In fact, in the evening service tonight, that's actually going to be what we're going to look at is this, this wonderful concept of fellowship and how, how deeply impactful it is for God uh, among us. But, do we have you ever seen maybe any movies or felt yourself the tension that comes when you're going to be getting together with people that you haven't seen for a long time? Has anybody ever seen Christmas Vacation? the entirety of that movie is based around the notion that get-togethers are stressful. Now, In your upcoming week, what I want you to be able to do is to think through what's coming this week and do you feel any tension or any pressures or any strains to, to be in those moments with friends and family? Is it all bliss or is there at all some sense of a struggle? And uh, I'm wanting to say that it's those, those moments of tension that believers and non-believers alike will feel. It has a redemptive aspect to it. Um, has anybody ever seen how uh, tater tots are made? Good, so if I'm wrong here, then you may not be able to correct me. Tater tots are a byproduct of making french fries. Um, when when the french fry making people were, were producing french fries, they, they noticed that they had a lot of waste. Potato that was being wasted. And so they they took the potato waste and they basically threw it back into some sort of machine and they pressed them into uh, tater tots. And there may be the best thing that comes out of potatoes. So, One of the things that happens then is that there is this opportunity to see a byproduct, an almost waste, as a blessing. When you get together with friends and family, there is a tension that comes, and I don't want us as people of God to waste it because it has got incredible mileage to bless us if we're willing to stare it down and recognize what it's doing. When we get together with friends and family, when you prepare especially and you feel this tension, the tension comes most likely because we are aware that we are out of sorts. In the moments of tension when we get ready to be among friends and family who love us and want to see us succeed, we are willing to say, I wish I had done something more to prepare better for this. It could be that maybe over the course of the year and you have not seen your friends and family or whatever the amount of time is, that you have had some sort of embarrassing event take place and you don't want to see people because you know they're gonna ask you about it. Um, Or it could be that maybe you are physically not in the shape that you wish you were and you're concerned that when you see your friends and family, you have to try and deal with that. It could be that you just are gonna be around others who have been more successful and you're concerned about how you're going to stack up. All these things speak. They remind us that we live in a world where judgment is true, and it's inescapable, and it serves as a blessing to us. Because if we're going to be honest, what's really happening is we are aware of the fact that we don't stack up to our own standards. We want to be better. We want to have something more to offer, to be more deeply valuable. And every human heart aches for this because every human has been made in the image of God and has been made to shine forth a glory that we have kept because we are engrossed in all types of sin. And so when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, they are a people likewise steeped in sin. And so for you this morning, if you are struggling with that sense of, how do I I measure up? I feel out of sorts. How do I deal with the fact that I wish I was more? This morning, what Paul has to say is tremendously helpful. And if you have even gone the path of saying, well, I'm doing fantastic. I'm wonderfully capable of shining forth. I hope you realize that all it takes is but a deeper glance to realize a simple question of, how are you really, before things all fall apart. So, in this passage, what Paul does is he opens up reality of the gospel for us. He starts off in verse sixteen by saying, "From now on, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh." What he's saying there is that the way that we have always viewed people has been from the exterior. We have always viewed people according to presentations. This is common. This is how we judge, and this is also how we pretty ourselves up. This is how we seek to make ourselves approved to the community, is we seek to make ourselves on the outside look good in hopes that people will believe that we're this good all the way down to the core. But, if we're honest, we know we can put up on all the, you know, the makeup and the tidy up and do everything that we want. It isn't touching our hearts. And God, who sees our hearts and judges us by our hearts, knows the reality. And this is both terrifying and wonderful. Because he says here, now on therefore we we regard no one according to the flesh even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh we thus regard him like this no longer we now know him differently and he's speaking to believers he is saying this to the people of God who have placed their faith for salvation in Jesus and so everything that he says moving forward is for those who have already accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and if it's not you from the outside, look in and wonder as to whether or not you need what he has to offer. And so what he ends up saying here is wonderfully important. And I want you to make sure that as we're going through this this morning, that you don't simply say, well, I'm a Christian, therefore I'm I'm fine. Ask yourself the question this morning, am I coasting? Am I on autopilot? Because what we're going to be talking about is joy, and it's a type of joy that is meant to transform us. The type of joy that is meant to move us from what we have been to what he is drawing us into. Now, this means then that if it describes you, you are wonderfully in motion. You are wonderfully evaluating what what needs to be tweaked in your life and pressing onward. But if you are a follower of Christ and you have sat down and said, I am good like I am, then you have not picked up the spirit of Christ. That is not a disposition that is available for followers of Jesus, because he has more for you. So what I want us to, the tagline for this morning is transformational joy. Transformational joy begins with knowing Jesus. And as we have transformational joy in knowing Jesus, we need to be willing to press it into the corners. So, verse 16 again. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come we need to be willing to slow down and let that sink in. That is not a a small thing. He writes this to the church at Corinth, which means he's writing to the church that has got the most explosive sin problems in their midst. They're the ones that have this incredibly deep sin in the church. It's not even just that it's in the city, it's inside the church. And Paul is writing to them because they have forgotten the reality that Christ is meant to change us, to free us from sin because we are not what we used to be. And instead, what they've done in Corinth is they have created new patterns of sin that are incredibly destructive. And so sometimes we can get to the place where we fail to recognize that the gospel changes us as a new creation and then it continues to draw us into the likeness of Christ which means you're not going to be like you were just at the moment of your salvation. He's leading you deeper still. We, We oftentimes can buy into almost some lies about reality though. We can buy into this notion that all that matters is that I get saved all that matters is that I get, I get the fire insurance, is what it gets called. All that I really I care about is just that I am in, and I don't care that I really change as long as I'm not going to hell when I die. And the reality, again, is that if you have experienced true joy of recognizing that God came in the flesh to save sinners, then the possibility of being satisfied with simply getting in is foreign. Because he has so much more for you than that. If you simply just think, all I care about is just getting my name on that book of life, and then I'm going to go and play and sin and it not bother you, then I would encourage you to examine the foundations of your salvation and wonder if you don't have a misplaced faith. You do not want to get to the end of your days and recognize that you wasted it. Instead, what we have the opportunity for this morning, when Paul encourages us to consider the reality that we are a new creation and that the old is gone, it means that he also gives us new joy in knowing him. And so as we stare at him, we become different. In the Old Testament, at any point in the Old Testament, that you find the people of Israel giving themselves over to the worship of idols. You wanna know what happens to them? They become like them. To worship an idol, to worship it all, is to become like what you worship. This is how the psalmist says it. We become like what we worship. So when Israel worshiped idols, they became transformed into these little idols. They had nothing to say. They spoke no truth. All they did was they perfumed lies and falsehood, and they eked out of their their existence bloodshed. They were twisted and ugly, and so that's the negative. If you look at the positive then, when we become worshipers of, of God through staring at Jesus and worshiping Him, the joy that comes in is that it is a transformational joy. It's one that genuinely leads us from what we have been to what we can become in Him. So if you have been steeped in sin, like the church at Corinth, what's encouraging here this morning is that you don't have to remain that way. That it is every bit God's intention to see you become unlike what you have been. No, So if you are a great and righteous person this means you too if you are a terrible and inconsistent sinner it includes you too paul didn't say this to the best of churches he said this to the worst to the most common and so it's helpful here so here's a a quote that i want i want to give you here it's uh, it's from a man named c.s lewis if you're familiar with him he said I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun has risen. Not only because I can see it, but by it, I can see everything else. The joy of knowing Jesus is truly intended to filter into the way that we see and do everything. The job of knowing Jesus is to see this wonder pressed into all parts of life. Just a moment ago, y'all had a, a choir get up and sing for us. Um, has anybody here attempted to sing in a choir that is not musically talented? <laughs> no one raised their hands for that. There was lots of giggles, no hand raising. Um, all right, there we go. So here's what happens. In a, in a choir, It's the intention is that there is one sound being produced, one sound. Um, It it is a volume of voices that coalesce, that come together, and the product is beautiful and harmonious. Your life is meant to be like that. The way that we're intended to be able to live, because we are new creations, is that we don't have a, a thousand different strands going in a thousand different directions. The entirety of our lives are meant to be braided together to where it is a single unit all screaming forth the praise of God. So this means that the way that you have your your life etched out as an employee, the way that you drive your car, the way that you eat your breakfast, the way that you speak to your kids or your grandkids or your spouse or any number of things, it's meant to be a part of a harmony. It's meant to come together in such a way that it glorifies God and what ends up happening is when you have this this deep joy in worshiping Jesus and then you become introspective and you look into your own heart what you find is that there is going to be places that have run wild places that have not submitted to the Lordship of Christ in your life and so then your task becomes bringing them into submission we are told to master our own flesh, which is not like a once-and-done kind of thing. Have you ever had like a cowlick that you, you mash down and then what happens? It pops right back up. Think of oftentimes our sin is like that where I might get it beat down one day, but it's going to show up the next. And it does not mean that I, I have to consider myself to be a fake because it's happened again. Instead, I pursue it with the passion of glorifying God in this way that I will not let it reign over me. And so I apply this joy of Jesus' grace in my life to the things that keep popping up, knowing that he said these words of being a new creation to a church that was steeped in terrible sin, because if you are a follower of Jesus, you will in this life have struggle. Jesus tells us this much. But he doesn't leave it there. He also goes on to say, but in this life be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. It's this Jesus that we continue to look to that then changes us. So then verse 17 and 18 again he says, uh, therefore if anyone is in Christ he's a new creation the old has passed away, behold the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Because knowing Jesus joyfully transforms me, I can engage the community distinctly. The role that he gives us is one of being a messenger of reconciliation, an ambassador of reconciliation. See, what God did for me I then turn around and help others to know. Which means that if I'm going to be reconciling, passing on a message of reconciliation, who needs to hear about the reconciliation that Jesus offers? And the answer is kind of like twofold, right? One is we regularly need to apply this to our own lives. Christians do. We hold grudges. We get into fights. There are divisions and skirmishes. We need to regularly apply the fact that Jesus has done a marvelous thing in giving himself for our debt of death. He paid it. And in him paying it, we are brought to God, cleansed, declared righteous even. And then, I am then given the task of going out into the community at large and helping them know that Jesus has done this. So I then have to be willing to recognize that part of my role is to go out into the world. Again, Paul delivers this word to the church at Corinth. A church in the midst of a powerfully sinful city. This was their task. Go into the community and make the message of reconciliation clear. This is, this is difficult. I want you to think about this. It's easy for a church, once they have kind of cleaned themselves up, to then stand on the doorsteps of the church and look out into the community and say, they have no idea. This is a real shame, I'm watching them, it's a real shame. If they would only come in here, they would only come up the driveway and into the doors of the church, they would find out how lovely Jesus is. And yet, the message of reconciliation follows from the incarnation. How did Jesus bring us the message of reconciliation? Did he stand on the doorsteps of heaven and just kind of shout out, I'm going to forgive you? What did he do? He humiliated himself. The king of creation, the one who has the power to hold all things together, condescended and wrapped himself in flesh, which the way that the the Bible uses that term flesh is a picture of sin. The flesh, as Adam and Eve looked down after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they looked down and saw their skin, their naked bodies, and they were ashamed. And then the writer ends up employing that picture of flesh to show sin to us. You know, it's not just that there was a, a whole lot of leprosy in the Old Testament, it's that leprosy was a picture of sin. And so when Jesus, in John chapter 1, he, is, he describes Jesus as tabernacling among us, putting on flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus came to us, it was humiliating. He did that because he loved us. And this great love he then pushes into our hearts, transforms us at the core, and then he says, the message that you received go in likewise. Which means then we have to be willing to get up and to move into the places where people who need to be reconciled to God are. The message of reconciliation comes with a call to get busy with lost people. And it's a wonderful calling. You do this inside the church as well. Where there are feuds, the message of reconciliation needs to be applied. Every time that you take the Lord's Supper, you are called to remember that you are, you are bringing into your body a physical reminder a tangible reminder of what Jesus did. So before you take the Lord's Supper, you are encouraged then to not do it in an unworthy manner, to go and to have reconciliation be worked out between you and members of the the community so that as you take in the Lord's Supper, you are able to celebrate it without hypocrisy. And so Paul, again, is pressing the church here to recognize this fact. So verse uh, 18 and 19 again, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is a a necessary point here. The way that this works out, knowing Jesus transformed me and so I engage the Father by grace. The entirety of the work of Jesus has been to prepare for himself a people of his own possession who would come to the Father, who would be restored to the Father. and would know the joy of not just being forgiven of debt, but becoming a child, his child. And I hope that we can see that that means it comes with the great and high privilege of knowing him as father and child but by extension, being as the Son, which means then that we become people who engage our work as a glory unto God. We work in a way that is a reflection of what He has done for us. The tone that we have towards others, the manner in which we approach our labors, all of it is able to be this deep, and meaningful expression of thank you this is able to be pleasing to God and so I do it as unto the Lord so this means that if you're a student the way that you study has a way of being in unison in harmony with what you praise the way that you then pay your taxes has a way of being able to be an expression of praise all of it. And so what we'll do tonight is we'll continue to look on in in the scriptures about how incredibly significant it is to be in the presence of God. How incredibly deep and meaningful it is and how the whole scriptures are really comprising this desire of God to have his people in his presence. And it is by the work of the Incarnate Son that we're able to see this be brought about. So as you're going about your week that you're you're celebrating and your joy of getting together with others, what I wanna encourage you to do this, this week is to think through how it is that the desire to be clean, the desire to be made right, so that you can go and have fellowship with your family Are you looking at the outside or are you looking at the inside? Are you evaluating by God's standards or by the flesh, which is man's standards? And there is peace that is available by looking at God's standard after you have accepted Christ. But if you haven't, feel the weight of the tension. If you have not placed your trust in Jesus, the weight that comes with being aware of your own out-of-sortness, let that be a, a graceful taste of judgment to come. Let that be a way of reminding you that judgment is real and you're not ready. And the only way that you can be prepared to face God, the holy and righteous God of all creation, is by trusting in the work of the Son. And so this morning, the invitation then is to respond to the work of the Son, to declare you a new creation, and to press the joy of knowing Him into your life in such a way that everything else gets changed because of it. And so, think about this verse this week. This is the the final verse here. He says, For our sake... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's work. You are invited to be mightily served by him. And in turn, go and serve others. If you have not known Jesus, I encourage you this morning... To meet with a member of the church who is trusted and that knows Jesus and can help lead you to know Him more, to introduce you to Him, come and talk to me after the service, and I'd be happy to uh, to help you in this capacity, to pray with, to pray for you. But in just a moment, we'll have a time of response, and I encourage you to to make use of this time. If you feel the need to come down front, that you're encouraged to do that. I, I'm more than happy to pray for you and know that the people of the church have a responsibility to be praying with you as well. The front of a church is not magical, it is an opportunity to pray and be prayed for. So I encourage you to respond to the work of the Spirit of God pressing us all right now. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Holy Father, I pray that, that you would convict our hearts of the need to press on. We thank you, Father, that you both save us and that you shape us for your glory. And so I pray, Father, that this morning that you would help us to be fully aware of the places in our lives that need to be altered and submitted to you. And I pray that you would help us to be prepared as we get ready for the the week to come, that we would both worship deeply, but we would also see and feel the tension that rises in our own hearts, and that we would look to you to make us clean, that we would look to you to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that we would trust you fully. We thank you, Father, that in Jesus, this is true. We pray, Father, for your blessing on us all this morning, and we pray for this week to be a a week where you are active and we are responsive. In the name of Jesus, I pray.